that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. Just say amen to that. That Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. And that we being rooted and grounded in love might be able to comprehend what is the, the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height and to know the love of God that passes knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Is that really something that is available to us as these deep things? Now, I want to make this statement. Let me give you just a, a quick on the context. But God hath revealed them unto us, the love of God, the breath of God, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Statement. I fear I have become accustomed to my shallowness. I'm going to let that settle on you for a minute. And you can let me take this all alone, or you can say, let me say that. I think I could know more about God. I think I could be a better Christian than I am. How many of you know God's not the problem? Are you following this? I think that I've become accustomed, I hate to say this, but yea, maybe even content with my shallowness, while all the while God is saying, I've got some deep things of me to give to you. They're there. I think I can know God better than I do. I think one of the most basic teachings of Scripture is that a man can know God. When you get into this book, God is saying to you, you can know me. You can know me. Let me give you just a few verses. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. <clears throat> Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. But let him who glorieth glory in this, that he knoweth and understandeth me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness in all the earth. And these things I delight, saith the Lord. We can know that God. John 17, 3 says this, and this is life eternal, that they may know thee. By the way, that Greek word is epigonosis. Epi is a Greek preposition that means above. Gnosis is knowledge. It's not just this. It's not just so much intellectual accumulating of information about God, but experientially I can know him. That's that kind of a God, that kind of a knowledge of God. And this is life eternal that may know thee, the only true God, and his son Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Paul said to Timothy in his last letter, 2 Timothy 1, 12, I know whom, not just what, I know whom I have believed. Do you know what he said in his earlier letter to the church at Philippi? 310 is my life's verse, that I may know him. You know what he says toward the end of his life? He's in the Mamertine prison, about to be executed. He says, I know whom I have believed. I got this. It's a journey of growing in the grace and knowledge of. It's a preposition that means to proceed from a source that God reveals to us the deep things of himself that no matter what is being dealt down here, I know whom I have believed. By the way, this is easier for me to preach than it is to live. Come on, would you say amen to this? I know everything I'm saying is true, and yet the embrace of that truth that transforms my life is I've become content, I fear, with my shallowness. 
Psalm 46.10, and I'll stop with this one. There are many more. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Deep things. By the way, some of this is so basic. It's like ask and it should be given unto you. Seek and you should find. Knock and it should be opened unto you. God is not playing this cosmic hide and seek. About the time we get near, he goes to someplace else. He said, you'll know, you'll receive, you'll know me. What are the deep things? I'm going to give you one more. I'm not giving you the deep things yet. I'm prepping us to this. I'm going to have to do this quick. Jesus, Galilee, teaching, crowd, seaside. They're pressing him. He's about to be pushed in the water. He looks at some guys that are mending their nets, and he says to them, would you allow me to get in your boat and you push out a little way so I can finish this teaching time? They're mending their nets. Yeah. He gets in the boat. How many of you are familiar with this without having to go to Luke and the Gospels to show this one to you? You're familiar with this. He gets out into the water. Let me pick up the narrative. Luke chapter 5 and verse 4. Now when he had ceased speaking, he said unto Simon. Simon's the man in the boat. Okay. Andrew's there. James, John. the cousin. Says to Simon, he says, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. That's what the old King's English says. Yours will say for a catch. I looked that word up. You know what the draught is a better rendering of that? Because it means not just a catch. It means a big catch. You'll get a big catch. You know what Simon is? He's a he is generationally a professional commercial fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. He lives in Bethsaida, which means house of fishing. He has the market over in Capernaum, the metropolitan area. This guy has potential for making a good living. He knows how to fish the sea. His dad, you know what his dad's name was? Jonah. What a name for a fishing business. Would you say amen to that? <laughs> Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. And he says, and here's what happens. Peter looks, Simon looks at him and says, Teacher, we have fished all night and caught nothing. You know how you fish the Sea of Galilee? You do it at night. You know what the commercial fish is? It's like the white fish of the Great Lakes. The mullet is to the Sea of Galilee. That's the commercial fish. You know how you catch them? You go out at night, you hold out your lantern, the bugs come, the fish come up from the deep because it's cooler now. They come up, you throw out the nets, and you catch them. That's how you catch them. And he knows this. And this carpenter teacher's telling him, go out in the daytime, throw out in the deep. In the deep, you know what they do? They go down. And you'll get a catch. Here's what he said. Nevertheless, at thy word... We will let down the nets. Whew. A great, you, you realize what a deep thing this is? They had so many that the nets begin to break. They got them ashore. Here's the, here's the deep thing. He, obeyed, he just obeyed the word the master gave him, and when he got them fish up shore, them guys are just trying to get them up on shore. They're losing some. They didn't get them all. They lost some, but they got a lot. He hits the deck and says to Jesus, Oh, Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I think the old boy got saved at that moment. I don't know. Some people say, I used to think it was when he confessed that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I know he is then. But when you recognize who he is and you know who you are, you're a, you've just taken a giant step toward salvation. Launch out into the deep. Well, what are some of the deep things? 
We're going to take off with his first of all. Nevertheless, at thy word. These are not the high and lofty, the secret, the hidden things of God. These are the deep things of God. Sometimes we want to have stuff our heads with all kinds of higher knowledge and theological information up here. We're not talking that. We're talking about deep things of God. When he said, nevertheless, at thy word, he had no clue how deep that was. Simple obedience to the word of God is a deep thing. When I felt the call of God on my life to quit police work and become a preacher, and I told my wife, and she confirmed it, I had a junior high Sunday school class at the time, the church we were attending, and committed my life. That simple act of obedience has brought forth fruit in my life, my wife's life, our children's life, our grandchildren's lives, that I could never have imagined the depth of just simply obeying that call. No clue. Nevertheless, at thy word. Did you know what, men? You ought to read your Bibles. <clears throat> you, I probably you've never heard that before, have you? <laughs> I have no hearing that doesn't transform anybody. It's the do it, come on. It's when we say, I'm going to do that. The Word of God contains all the mysteries of the universe. That's this. This book called the Bible contains all the mysteries of the universe. From origin to destiny, meaning and purpose. Why you're here breathing up the air, eating up the food, drinking up the water, and taking up the space. Why? Why? It's contained in the pages of God's Word. It answers all the who, what, where, when, why, how to my faith. By the way, everybody on the planet's living by faith. The atheist is living by faith. Their faith is there is no God. They believe that. They believed a lie. There is a God. And he has made a way for us to know him through his word. Notice our text began in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, but as it is written. These are the words of God Almighty. Read your Bibles. Study it, memorize it, meditate on it. May it be the book of life for you. Psalms 119, if you're familiar with that psalm, it talks all about the book. In verse 113, it says, Vain thoughts do I hate, but oh, how I love thy law. Notice he does not say, I've never had a vain thought, I just hate him. Can any of you identify? How you have had your mind going off in direction, you say, what? I hate that. How many of you ever take off in some innocent direction and end up in a cesspool? Vain thoughts do I hate, but oh how I love thy law. Notice he didn't say I keep the law perfectly, but I do love it. I know within its pages are what I need for this day's living, for my life. If you fall in love with the word of God, you'll fall in love with the God of the word. It'll happen. My mother, when she died, had a godly mother, 
I got her Bible the day, the night she died. I went with Dad to the hospital, and we didn't go in. You don't need the details of this. We went home, and I said to my dad on the way home, I said, the only thing I want a mom is I want her Bible. My sister, when we called her, she was in Arizona, her husband, and told her, she said, Dad, I want Mom's Bible. And I already got it. Hallelujah. <laughs> and it was a rag. It was wore out. And I'd take it and I'd go through it and look at all the notes she'd made. And, all, and in the back, I found a prayer written for her son. Oh, God, that my son would fall in love with your word. You know what? My mom had sense enough to know that if God answered that prayer, a multitude of other things would take care of themselves if I just loved the word of God. How many of you men would love your children to love the Word of God? Do you pray that? Do you say, God, would you give them a love? You see, I flunked the fifth grade because I couldn't read. I was dyslexic. I cheated my way through school, all that kind of stuff. Reading for me was threatening. You know what my idea of a good time now is? Picking up the Bible and reading through large portions of Scripture. Point number two. We've got seven. You can start praying right now. <clears throat> How many of you got what a deep thing is? Just read your Bibles. How many times Jesus said in Matthew, I think six different times, have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? If you can read, read your Bible. If you read the newspaper and don't read your Bible, switch. Stop reading the newspaper and reading life. Read the Word of God. Deep things. Here's another deep thing. Humility. Humility is a deep thing of God. I'm going to give you this definition. There are several. This is one of my favorites. I got it from an old man. <laughs> Back when I got it, he was probably about my age. Now, okay, when, when I got it, this, he said, humility is open and unashamed dependence upon God. It is hard in our pride to think we need anything. We need God. How many of you know that God would be God with or without us? Say amen to that. Sometimes we think God needs, hey, can I help you out today? <laughs> Galatians chapter 6 verse 3 says this. For if a man think himself to be something, comma, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He doesn't deceive anybody else. But he deceives himself into thinking he's something when he is nothing. When a man exalts himself, God abases him. This is base, the floor. But when a man humbles himself, God says, I'll exalt you. How many of you have had to repeat the course a few times? Start over again. Get back to the base. Try that. You didn't, you didn't learn that one, Tom. Do this one again. I think one of the great things of Abraham and why God so chose that man is when it came down to there was strife between Aaron, excuse me, Abraham and Lot, between the herdsmen or the tribesmen of Lot and Abraham. Abraham said, Abraham said I know the key to this conflict right now. You, the key to any conflict resolution is humility. You cannot offend a humble person. It is impossible. If you're offended, guess what? Only by pride comes contention. So you can count on this. When you find yourself in contention with somebody, arrogance is rooted in us. Here, Abraham says to Lot, I'll tell you what, Lot, he's the uncle, he's the nephew. He says, elder to the younger, I'll tell you what, you choose and whatever you choose, I'll take what's left over. You go to the right hand, I'll go to the left. You go to the left hand, I'll go to the right. I'll just take. And he looked down at the well-watered plains 
of Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plains and said, there's commerce there, there's potential for success there. Yeah, there's a little bit of evil. I think I can deal with that. So he says, I'll choose that. You know what that left? That left Abraham with the Judean wilderness. You couldn't hardly graze sheep in a majority of that land. Do you know how the two ended? Lot died in a cave after two drunken, incestuous relationships with his daughters. And Abraham died the father of faith, the father of us all, and inherited the promised land. He got the land that God said, this is going to be yours. Just walk around it. Every place the sole of your foot touches is going to be for you and your descendants forever. One man humbled himself, and the other one thinks, I think I can do it here. Saul, when he was little in his own eyes, and by the way, God chose Saul to be the first king. And when he was little in his own eyes, God said, ooh, I can use this guy. And we got all swollen up with himself. I've got a bunch here. I'm going to give you the last one verse on that. Now, Micah 7, 8, he has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord doth require of thee, but to do justice, love mercy. Anybody know the rest of this? And walk humbly with your God. Number three, forgiveness. Pastor Dan spoke Sunday morning. Powerful. Every time I hear him preach, makes me never want to preach again. I'm just so ashamed of my shallowness. I've taken Matthew 18, preached it. But there's somebody out here and it preached to you. How many of you know the 10,000 talents that we owed, the millions of dollars worth of debt of our sin that we've racked up, and we say, God, just give me some time and I'll make it good. I'll, I'll pay you back. We can never pay back. Would you say amen to that? How, what foolish. He didn't even ask right. He didn't say, oh, God, have mercy. He just said, give me some time and I'll pay it back. And he had mercy. He had compassion on him and he forgave him the whole debt. Forgave him the whole debt. He went out and found some guy that owes him a stinking hundred bucks. He says, pay up. The guy says, give me some time. He took him by the throat and said, you pay now. Are you going to jail? You know the picture, don't you? The only thing harder than forgiveness is unforgiveness. You want to become a prisoner of someone else's sin and someone else's wrong? Just hang on to something they did to you wrong. As I sat over there, I prayed at the end of that sermon. I said, God, is there anybody in my life? You see, I've preached this. I've, I've had, because of my pride, unforgiveness. See, I don't mind forgiving people as long as I can rub their face and what they did wrong to me. Somebody say amen to that. You know what I mean? I'll forgive you. <laughs> you jerk. I'm not forgiving for they don't know what they do. Let them know what they did. Come on. Are you letting me take this alone or not? Just, just. And so I'm struggling with the Jesus example. And so I've had to do that. I had to go to a pastor. One time. I, can't, I haven't got time to tell you the people. God has spoken. He says, you need to go and ask forgiveness. You need to go and ask. Humble yourself. Pride won't do it. Humility will do it, but pride won't do it. And I said, God, is there anybody? Because I thought I got a clean slate. I had no more got that prayer out of my mouth. And he brought one up. I said, you're going to be kidding well, you don't have to. Just every time that person comes to mind, you have this withdrawal, resistance kind of. 
You see, I've got one of these grudges. It's just kind of, I don't care about it. I don't have to see them. They live in another state. You let me take this all alone, ain't you, boys? Man, I hate that. It's an uncle of mine, childhood hero. You know what I did on Sunday? I told my, I told my wife about it. And I said, you think that's the Holy Spirit? Really? See, I'm hoping my wife will back, you know, back me up and bail me out and stuff. She always sides with the Holy Spirit, always. I should know better than even asking her. Because she says, well, if the Lord's leading you, go and do it. <laughs> Called him up. You see, we had just been down there. And I just didn't care to see him. I saw my aunt. All my relatives are dying out. There's only two in the biological family left in that Tennessee, North And I determined myself even then, if my aunt wants to go see him, we'll do that. He's 91. Phil broke his hip left. Childhood hero and did some things that I've held against him as though I were not capable of exactly the same thing. See, man, if there's some sin you've not committed in your life, it's the grace of God that's restrained you from it. It is not your own goodness. Come on. I'll change my whole sermon if I don't tell you to say an amen to that. There is nothing I am not capable of. It, it, it is only the restraining grace of God that's kept me from murdering and on and you can name it. And I called him, talked to him. And God gave me grace to say exactly the right words. And he and his grace, this man's a believer, he's an elder in their church, said, thank you, Tom. You know what happened? It wasn't dramatic, not drum roll. When I got done with that phone call, it's like the Holy Spirit of God just took that trash. It had been residually staying in my life and just ripped it off. I don't know of one person now, not one. You know what forgiveness is? It's a deep thing. It's not a high and lofty thing. God, this isn't something, the secret things, the hidden things. This is the deep things that if we do them, God said, you'll know me. You'll know me. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an act of obedience in response to the grace of God. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. If I can stand before God and say, you owe me, then you don't have to forgive anybody. He owes me nothing. No, oh, you guys, we should listen faster. Notice a little blame shifting there? <laughs> I'll just mention some of these things quickly. Serving is a deep thing. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. One of the greatest expressions of our worth-ship, attributing worth to God, is signing up for service. As I was leaving, I stopped and talked to Josh Ratniff over here because they just give the announcement stuff about soccer, upward soccer. You know what I know about soccer? Everything I know about soccer, you could write on the back of a matchbook with large print. <laughs> I don't know nothing about it. I'm not a soccer fanatic. I, 
the real sport, football, NFL. Oh, never mind. Okay, <laughs> soccer. I don't play soccer. And God is saying to me, you go to him and say, you don't know anything. I could never be a coach. I couldn't even be an assistant coach. I'd be more problems to a poor coach than the kids. I mean, I would just, I know nothing. But there's somewhere, and I said, is there some place I can serve in upward soccer? He said, I think we could find a place for you. I don't know where that is. But I plan on serving some. That's deep. He said, I want to serve. No rights, no wages, no appeal, a servant, a doulos, an all in the ear. I'm signing up. I want to be a servant of the Lord. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. I mean, I can quote you the servant verses. It's so easy to preach, so easy to quote those things and walk out of here and not do one thing that has to do with what I've said. I've got to start doing. Obedience is a deep thing. Just obedience to God. Giving. It's all we are as stewards. Anything you and I have, he says, I've entrusted to you to manage and oversee the affairs of something or someone. You belong to someone else. You just manage. If you haven't given everything you have to God, you ought to do it. It's his already. Give him your wife, your kids, everything you have. Material, just give it to him. Learn the depth of giving. Self-denial. Prayer. Prayer is contact with deity. It's coming into the presence of God and believing He is there. That God hears and answers prayer. Hebrews 11, 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. The greatest expression of your Christian faith is private prayer. Get along with God and pray. Just get along with God. Is he there? He's there. You can't get away from his presence. He's there. But without faith it's possible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the reward of them that diligently seek him. Joyce and I said a few years ago, we're just going to pray our way through the rest of our life. We're nearing the end. We're fourth quarter, ninth inning, home stretch, call it whatever you want to. We're closing in on the end. We're just going to pray our way through life. Trust. The gospel message, men. Know what the gospel is. Learn how to preach it to yourself. That's a deep thing. Dwell in the gospel. May it become a foundation for everything in the superstructure. Everything above ground should be rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is not? Can you spot it? Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a trough. I feel like this message saying to me, confess your contentment of shallowness. What you've become accustomed to, Tom, in your life, confess that as sin. There is a depth awaiting available to me in the knowledge of God that's available to me close with this verse I had no idea this would be this intense you guys are almost like we're in a mausoleum right now you're so quiet <laughs> I pray you're thinking are you is it okay has this been too hard or is this okay 
I'll quit with this one. <laughs> too hard, yeah, on me too. By the way, I have somebody else closing prayer. I'm slipping out of here, okay? Hosea 10, 12. Anybody know what old Hosea went through? Take a lot of things. I don't know if I could took what that old boy took. Your wife's out whoring around and having children that ain't yours and you're paying. He said, sow to yourselves in righteousness and reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. That's where I've become accustomed to my shallowness. God is saying, break her up. If you don't, it's like falling on the cement, the hard ground. The devil will come and snatch it away before you're out the door. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he come and rain righteousness upon you. I believe God has things for me, for us. No matter where you're at in your journey of faith and your stage of life, if we are willing to say, I'm no longer content with my shallowness. I want some depth to my Christian life. I want to know you better than I do. Then I want to sow to myself in righteousness, break up my fallow ground, time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you. I'm just going to have a word of prayer and then well Lord I feel like it's been an avalanche this morning. I thank you again for these men. I thank you for this message and how you're speaking to me and God you haven't not left me to myself. You have been faithful. Where I need conviction, God, pour it on. Where I need affliction, pour it on. That you might comfort me. I find my comfort, my trust, and hope in you. God, ain't a man in this room that doesn't want to be a better husband. Doesn't want to be a, we want to be better husbands and fathers and sons and brothers and Christians. We want to. Wouldn't he be here this morning? God, would you save the lost and sanctify the saved? Do this for your glory. For our good, we know the thoughts that you think toward us. They're in your word. Thoughts of good. God, if we need repentance, give us grace to repent. We can't do it on our own. God, if there needs to be a stake driven and a, a change made in a moment like this, God, would you give us grace for that so that you get all the glory and we get all the good. We want to be careful to thank you, God. Regardless of where we are at in our journey of faith, you are still God. The Bible's still true. Heaven's still our home. The Holy Spirit is still our comforter and worker in our lives. We give you the praise and the glory and the adoration for who you are. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.